Welcome back to another edition of the Feld Fun Belt podcast. With me, as always, is Dusty Thibodeau from the Warhawk Report, and Ben Moore from Panther Talk is with us today, and we're going to talk a little bit about hoops, and then Dusty is going to tell us what else the hell we're going to talk about. Dusty, what the hell else do we have to talk about? Free flow, man. Just going with the flow and seeing where it takes us. No, uh, college football news back in the spotlight as spring football gets ready to kick off. College football's Bill Conley released his top returning production. So we will break down the Sunbelt Conference, what's coming in from the newcomers, as well as what is returning. And guys, it um, it doesn't look so good there for the storied Coastal Carolina coming back with just 36% returning. But we'll break that down later on. Well, I'm sure that there some people within the Sun Belt will find that to be very good news indeed. The rest of the time, guys, it, it's March Madness. And uh, we, we kick it off, of course, with Ben's Panthers in the NCAA tournament. Ben, that really came down to – it sounds easier said than done. But when you give up a 21-0 run, you're going to lose about 21 uh, points usually every single time. Yeah, you know, the, the, the game plan, and honestly, the, when the draw was announced on Sunday night, uh, there was a lot of buzz, especially uh, in, in Atlanta, because the hope, uh, certainly from a proximity point of view, was to have the Panthers land in Greenville, South Carolina, which would be an easy uh, two-hour drive, uh, and, and a lot of the, you know, Panther faithful could get up there, similar how they went in, uh, in Chattanooga, or at, um, excuse me, in Nashville a few years ago against Cincinnati and Jacksonville, of course, uh, against Baylor in the, uh, in the upset, of course, the, the RJ Hunter shot there, um, sending, sending the Panthers out to Portland, uh, no big deal. Just playing the top overall seed in the Gonzaga Bulldogs, uh, who, Oh, by the way, may or may not have the uh, top overall pick in the NBA draft in Chet Holmgren. And, uh, you know, I, I was impressed with Timmy as well. Their other power forward, uh, he just absolutely dominated, um, the, the Panthers' story of the whole season has kind of been injuries and COVID hiccups and things like that. Um, but getting getting to the NCAA tournament was obviously a huge step in the right direction for, for Rob Lanier and this staff. Uh, but losing Eliosa Semi um, with only six and a half minutes basically left to go in the first half, uh, I got text messages already from that point. It was, okay, it's over. You know, he's, he's, he's our 6'8 inside presence against already the size, uh, and the Panthers got – um, just, you know, waylaid uh, inside as as good coaches do. They're going to go and make adjustments at half. Uh, but what's proud of the Panthers' effort? There's obviously a lot to build on there. Uh, but there's a there's a tremendous amount leaving. There's four seniors leaving off this team that have won a lot, including uh, all Sunbelt guards, Kane Williams and Corey Allen. So it uh, will be an interesting offseason. I've already seen some nuggets and notes already. Uh, the Panthers plan to hit the transfer portal very, very hard. Uh, so look to them, look, look to see uh, them obviously reload uh, in, in the next, uh, but uh, it was good to get back to the NCAA tournament for a fourth season, a fourth time in the last seven seasons and uh, definitely some optimism opening up a new arena uh, here this season in Atlanta. So it should be pretty fun. Jeremy, did you get a chance to watch that game at all and, and kind of give us your thoughts of, of what the Golden Panthers, they're not the Golden Children, they're the Golden Panthers. I did see a little bit of the game. I was actually on a golf course in Mississippi for a lot of that. Was very surprised to see how close it was, especially in the first half going into the second half. And I kind of looked at the at Georgia, and I could be 
hey, I can be completely wrong about this. If you guys want to lambaste me for this, I will I will accept your lambasting, especially from you, Ben Moore, because you know the Panthers are your team. But it seems to me like the Panthers were a little bit like the Memphis uh, Tigers to me, kind of cut from that same cloth, kind of fast and athletic, and 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 sort of maybe that took Gonzaga by surprise a little bit because Gonzaga kind of plays their own kind of big man game, and here we are, we've got these guys from the uh, from Atlanta coming in didn't give them much of a chance. I heard saw plenty of Gonzaga. Uh, 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 analysis heading into the tournament where the Panthers weren't even mentioned. Well, they're being mentioned now. And of all the things that happened uh, with these postseason tournaments, the Panther uh, performance, even in a loss, was probably a, uh, was a really good thing to have happen for the Sun Belt. So congratulations, Benmore. I'm sure that Coach Lanier was fielding your phone calls, probably to try and pick your mind for advice. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't need my advice he's, he's good to go there and, and you know as we as we know uh in in uh georgia state land everyone wants to compare everything to uh obviously when ron hunter was here and uh in in year three um you know ron ron took uh took the took the panthers to the ncaa tournament and so lanier has done the same and their winning percentage so far even with the cancellations over the last two seasons losing 14 games is nearly the same so uh, interested to see what Coach Lanier builds for year four, uh, but I agree with you. I mean, your overall sentiment is, is correct. Um, you know, both both Memphis and Georgia State like to junk it up defensively. They really want to overplay the passing lanes. Gonzaga wants to play really, really, really fast. They, they're one of the top pace teams in the nation. Um, you know, ended up being a bad matchup. And quite honestly, Memphis, I think, took some of the game plan from Georgia State on Thursday night. Really got after them early. Um, we're roughing up the big men inside. And, and pushing the guards out. And you know, I watched a, a good amount of that game yesterday, and, uh, and Memphis absolutely had an opportunity to beat them, uh, which would have been another number one seed gone. But alas, Gonzaga does what Gonzaga does, and they were on to the Sweet 16. Yeah, and another thing I noticed about Memphis and uh, Georgia State was that they both the trajectory they got into the tournament were similar to. You know, which Memphis just really just could not figure it out at, in most of the regular season, had a lot of troubles, came into their tournament hot. They didn't end up winning their tournament. Uh, they, they ended up coming in second, but they came in sizzling hot. And I felt like Georgia State was the same way, just kind of floundered for so much of the season, couldn't find their identity, couldn't get healthy. You know, the COVID would screw a lot of things up. They even really know who the Panthers were until the last quarter of the season. And then it was like, okay, these are the Panthers that were predicted to win the Sun Belt. And lo and behold, they won the Sun Belt. <laughs> How good are the prognosticators, Dusty Thibodeau? They said Georgia State and Louisiana. In the end, what was it? Panthers and Cajuns. It was. So um, why do we even watch the games? The prognosticators know what's going to happen. I just want to know if you were in a golf course in Mississippi, chances are that was at a place where uh, they had sports book. So I'm wondering if you didn't parlay against the Panthers. I did not. You know, my son, he is a uh, he is more of a gambler than I am. And he was really looking hard at that uh, Georgia State uh, spread with uh, Gonzaga. And he almost went ahead and took the points. 
It was like it's so close. And I believe Georgia State beat the spread. Backdoor right? backdoor cover. Yeah, the the free throws by one Evan Johnson uh, got a backdoor <laughs> cover. Uh, and it was too funny too because uh, he was fouled on a three point attempt that went in and he missed the free throw. And, and I tweeted out at the time, uh, there, there's a whole lot of folks interested in the, what happens in the next 35, 40 seconds. And if he can hit this free throw, uh, it's going to be, uh, there, there was, if, if you took the Panthers and the points, uh, you got the win. Oh my goodness. Well, anyway, that was a good, that, listen, let's face it. Losing by 20 is not a good outcome, but, if you have to lose by 20, the Panthers really did show a lot of fight and a lot of spirit and maybe a little bit of future of the Sun Belt. But maybe what we should really be focusing on was that North Texas, Texas State game. I did see a lot of that. That was a, that was a pretty good game. It I was. thought that the Bobcats just dug themselves too much of a hole early on and just unable to really shoot their way out of, out of the hole. Thibodeau, I have never been more confident in a team winning with one minute left than I was with Texas State. I had already taken out the permanent marker and scratched in Texas State for round two. There was no way they were going to lose that game. And it was like they just couldn't stop fouling. They couldn't stop not rebounding. I mean, there was one point where they did that rebound where there's three guys underneath the basket and all three Texas Bobcats touch it and it just dribbles out of bounds. How? How does that happen with a minute left? Boobcat. <laughs> oh, man, I felt so bad. And then I was like, okay. But, and here's what makes it feel bad for me personally is that Texas, uh, North Texas is coached by uh, Grant McCaslin, great coach, uh, is a, has, a, has a great pedigree. I think he's five foot two. He just a, a knows what he's doing, but he coached Arkansas State for a year, delivered one of our finer seasons in a long time, and then bailed on us. So I wanted to see him suffer by the hands of the Sun Belt. I wanted him to see him beneath the Bobcats paws, begging for mercy. And I don't get that. I, I don't get to have that. The power of the Super Pit. There's something about North Texas' home court there at the Super Pit where even when they are dead, they come alive and, and are able to capture the win. We saw it time and time again when they were in the league and every team that we had would go there, have the mean green backs against the wall and Johnny Jones and company would just come out swinging. Give credit to Texas uh, or North Texas, but also just, I don't know, apply as much shame as we can to the Boobcats right now. They had that game. They had it won. And they just let victory seep through their hands. It was just hard to watch. I was more depressed. Honestly, uh, uh, Ben, I was more depressed about what happened with Texas State than I was with what happened to the Panthers. So, As you, as you probably should be. And think about the Texas State faithful. So you, you, you are the regular season champs for yeah. the second straight season. Uh-huh. Open up Sunbelt Tournament play in Pensacola. Uh-huh. Get beat by Louisiana. Uh-huh. Go to a postseason tournament and you lose again. So um, you know, they, they definitely looked interested. It's not something one of those where we hear the argument, right? Where hey, it's a it's a bowl game or a postseason attempt. So we're we're just gonna kind of go through the motions. They were in the game and they'd obviously fought back and, and clawed to get into overtime, but uh 
just just a tough result there, and, and nobody wants to lose two straight to uh, to certainly end their end their season. No. So, do we want to talk a little bit about the future of the Sun Belt basketball? Or wait, 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 Dusty. I know you want to talk about these other tournaments. Let's do it. The basketball classic is still going on. Three Sun Belt it, teams, right? There's there there's two Fun Belt teams left. Uh, South Alabama and Coastal Carolina are still playing yeah. in the basketball classic. South Alabama, they beat Southeastern Louisiana by two points. They should have beat them by many, many, many more, but they mm-hmm. packed it up at around the 15-minute mark of the second half and coasted into that nail-biting victory. Nearly they packed play, themselves out of the tournament. They almost coasted right on out of the tournament. They'll now play USC Upstate, that game tipping off here shortly Sunday night, just like Dunk City taking on the till of Coastal Carolina. Ooh, that's a good game. But you know what? You mentioned USC Uptown. Upstate. Uptown girl. USC Upstate. upstate. Slightly different there, yeah. (laughs) My bad. But – uh. What happened? What? What? Why are they so? What? What's? What's the story behind that team? Why should that 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 team make me angry? They ended, they, they ended App State season. Exactly. What the hell, App State? And, and by a point guard by the name of Dalvin White. And if you remember, some of you old school Sun Belt guys, he is the younger brother of Georgia State former guard Devonte White, who was a problem back with the Panthers in the early Ron Hunter days. Uh, so good to see uh, L- little D white, as we call him around here, uh, put the dagger in the, in, in the app state Mountaineers. Yeah. You got to wonder what the Mountaineers think about that. Cause uh, kind of like Texas state, you know, they were the, the defending Sunbelt champion did not do particularly well in the Sunbelt tournament. Didn't finish the season very strong, but still Barry, you know, had, had a great season, has that coach that's firing on all cylinders, has Delph there, who's just a superstar. How do you get beat by USC Upstate? And beat on your home court at that, which we all know going up there for the 3,300 altitude or whatever they, they advertise it as, it's a tough place to play. It's hard to win unless you're a Mountaineer. How did this get through their fingers? But at least we still have two, two teams playing. And maybe we can get some glory out of that. And then we actually have a third still in the CBI that tips off. Troy travels to Abilene Christian Mm. to tip off that. I like that that matchup. I think that's going to be a good, high-scoring, fast-paced game. I don't know which way it's going to go. Obviously, I would love for the Troy Trojans, Scott Cross, to be able to get that win, but not sure how exactly that game is going to turn out. Definitely something you want to be able to check out, though. Let me ask you. Cross back back in his native uh, state, back into Texas. He is. Yes. But listen, Ben, do we really need a stronger, more confident Scott Cross to wreak havoc across the (laughs) semester? Do we need that? Do we need that in our lives? Wouldn't we rather have a humble, sort of uh, chastised Scott Cross to bring those Troy Trojans into our to our arenas for next year? I think UT Arlington's just happy to be leaving the league, so they don't have Scott Cross to come up and just whip them. 
speaking of UT Arlington, Tibbs, not a very good performance from UT Arlington in the uh, in the uh, women's Belt or in the NCAA game. Am I correct? That is correct. They yeah. they took a huge L and and couldn't keep on carrying the L on the L out of the Sun Belt. Do we care? No, we care about the Sun Belt, of course, and we care about women's basketball, of course. But did it really hurt us to see UTA lose? I don't think so, be, be, because I think the bigger story, honestly, was in the WNIT anyway, where Troy was hosting the big P5 of Alabama, still didn't get the win, but were right there at the end and, and definitely covered the spread. I think the final score was that they fell by two, maybe one point at the end. But that, to me, is still the bigger story, that we had the SEC coming into the Sun Belt for a postseason game. Yeah, and they had to, to to play their, what they would probably call their little sister in a derogatory way, and then almost get beat. So uh, I wouldn't imagine Alabama inviting Troy to play in a, uh, uh, God, Tuscaloosa. Where's Alabama? Is it Tuscaloosa? That it is. Okay. I suddenly had a brain freeze. I don't think we're going to see the Troy Trojans invited to play there anytime soon. If I if I know if I know my history, I know P five teams do not like it when they almost get defeated by their uh, uh, so called little brothers and sisters in state. So well, that's- as we know, man. I mean, we, you got we we all have went to schools that have the larger power fives. That sure. may be our only opportunity potentially for for at least a little while because uh, you know as we know the from the football side of things you schedule these things way way out in in women's basketball they're scheduled every year in a lot Mm -hmm. of cases you may have a home and home potentially but you're you're going to have that one shot at the in-state team um and and, you know that it kind of slips through your hands there and it's uh it's pretty tough to digest but i mean yeah it's obviously huge to have it on your home floor to have have those high major slash power five teams uh, in your building and, uh, and and nearly take care of business. It definitely can be frustrating. So before we move on to Ben or Ben, Bill Connolly and his amazing uh, algorithms and, 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 and analysis and spreadsheets that he puts together, I'd like to know from both of you, what do you think, how does the future of the Sunbelt basketball look right now to you? Do you feel like it's it's on solid footing, especially with these new guys coming in? Or do you feel like we're still sort of in the mud right now, just spinning our wheels? I'll jump in. Um, I, I, I am a little concerned with the four that are coming just because they did not obviously have a good season this year. Um, I, I will say Old Dominion has traditionally been very good, in, especially in men's basketball, women's basketball, obviously. Um, you know, James Madison has very had a very good women's has a very good women's program. Um, their their men's program is you know features former Georgia Southern coach Mark Byington, so that'll be fun. That'll that's that'll be another storyline where he he left Statesboro for uh, James Madison to go back to his home state of Virginia. So um, it, it, it's going to be interesting. Uh, you know, Marshall has been okay in men's basketball, uh, but I don't think it raises the level in terms of I think the totality of the league. Um, I do think it's a step forward for these schools because I think from the top of the Sun Belt to the top of the uh, top of Conference USA, it's been comparable. You know, when you had Middle Tennessee State ripping through the league for such a while, 
Um, but I think it's going to be interesting. You're going to see new names. You're going to see new blood. You're going to see uh, new recruiting avenues. I think some of these schools we're going to try to recruit in different areas, hit, hit, go into Louisiana and try to recruit into, into some, you know, some angles of, you know, Georgia, South Carolina, where they may not have been able to, but now that there are some schools are able to kind of be a more of an attractive option. Slight Good. step back in my opinion, because yeah. as much as we gave the grief of, uh, Little Rock and UTA, they were good teams. Year in, year out, they were in yeah. the upper half of the league. And that's going out the window for teams that have struggled against a non-good basketball competition in Conference USA. And so I think that we're actually taking a step back. I think in the in the grand scheme, we'll be better. But definitely next year, it's going to be kind of ugly. And I'll say this about about where we are as a, a basketball conference is that, you know, we talked about the Panthers. They had that pretty good showing against Gonzaga. We, we, we talked about Texas State having a, a fun, if disappointing, showing in the NIT. However, I feel like the Sun Belt still has a long way to game when it comes to respect. I mean, for the Panthers to get a 16th seed uh, is just, um, I understood it because the Panthers started off so slow. Uh, but it also felt like maybe nobody was paying attention enough to the Sun Belt. And partly it's our fault. It's, we shoot ourselves in the foot. We start off with bad uh, out-of-conference losses or we, we, we don't perform at a level that we should. And as a result, our schedules are always kind of lame, or at least I know that Arkansas State, they're kind of lame. So it's just a hard struggle to, to get that sort of notoriety that we need. And we need to start closing escrow on some of those early season games. So I hope... I, I feel like there's a lot of great stars in the Sun Belt right now. I feel like there's a lot of great potential. I just hope we capitalize on that for 2022-23. Well, and I'll add one, one point to that, Jeremy. I, I think it almost has to come from the commissioner's office and even the ADs. If you don't mm -hmm. want to continue to be a 16 seed and have almost no shot to win or even a 15 seed, you're going to have to talk to your programs about limiting – or eliminating the non-Division I games. I'll, I'll speak specifically for Georgia State. They played three non-Division I games this season. They also had five games canceled because of COVID. So essentially eight games are taking away from even a, a, a quality loss, if that is a thing, it, which it is in the net rankings. If you're going on the road and you're, win you're, you're winning a game, you get points, uh, basically bonus points. Or if you lose by less than 10 on the road, it's almost like a quality loss. So having those three, two or three or however many um, you know, non-Division one games, it really kills you. Because when you're going up against other mid-majors, and, and believe me, Sunday night, I, I think what the selection started at 6. By 6.15, I probably had 80 messages, whether it was on Twitter. and this, I can't believe Georgia State's a 16 seed. And I said, I can. Because you fill out the rest of the bracket, and if you look at the net rankings of programs like Cal State, Fullerton, um, you know, and, and go up and down the list, they were 30, 40, or even 50 rating points higher in the net, and they had stronger strength of schedule. It wasn't that their schedule was so impressive. It just was they've actually played Division I games. So it's one of those scenarios where the coaches, and they absolutely are, are worthy to do it, they want scheduled wins. I get that. But at the same point, is if you got to a point and you said, okay, Arkansas State, ULM, all the newbies, 
you can only play one non-division one game. You've got to go out and schedule. I know it's a difficult task. It really is in some of these cases, but you have to go do it. Now, does that mean go play, you know, five, six high majors a year? No, because we know, you know, you don't want to, you know, you don't want to get your head beat in either. But at the same point, um, I believe it's one of those scenarios where you, that's kind of how it has to rise. And I think, you know, former commissioner Carl Benson talked about that a little bit. Look, you got to spend the money. you got to invest it. I can tell you because I've done a deep dive on it. Uh, Georgia State spends about $3 million annually on men's basketball. Um, I know that is probably toward the top of the league, and it's why you're seeing the results that you're getting. I mean, they're, they basically dominated the league with over 101 wins in the last, what, six years, seven years. How much of that, though, do you think is a – Schedule of convenience, because the footprint of where we all are, it's a lot easier to schedule that non-D1, that D2, the D3s, NAIAs, whatever. Because I look even around Louisiana, South Arkansas has all of these schools that are right there. And, And it's from a business standpoint, how is it cost justified to say I got to travel all the way to McNeese when I have another school that is 30 minutes away. Mm-hmm. And that you can probably pay five or $6,000 to, I mean, that's the, that's the economics of it. You know, a lot of these contracts obviously aren't made public like the football ones are, and they're not million dollars, but when you go and play a high major, you're going to get, you know, 60, 70 K in most cases when you play them. Well, a lot of times, and, we, and we've seen it in the state of Georgia, we, you know, the quality basketball in this state has continued to dis, you know, completely disintegrate with Georgia Tech and Georgia. But you have quality programs like Mercer. Um, it has been in the NCAA tournament, beat Duke a few years ago, um, and, and also Kennesaw State, which you know, is, has been around and hasn't really been good. But they don't want to play unless they get paid. Uh, so I get it from all sides, I think, but that there has to be kind of a some semblance of a middle ground. If don't allow a third, then maybe do two, because like I, I pulled up the net rankings, Texas state is still the highest net. In, yeah. Yeah. Today in, in the, you know, the, the final net rankings, they were at 129. That probably would have got you a 15 seed looking at the teams that were, you know, behind them. Um, you know, they were, they were basically ahead of Delaware, which was in the field. Um, you know, you're, you're, you're looking, I mean, South Alabama, I think was second Jacksonville state, for example, was a 15 seed, um, you know, there, they played Auburn, uh, this weekend in the opening round. I think that's where you're going to have to see it. You're going to need multiple teams that push that 150 ceiling and, uh, and, and, you know, could we see it next year? Possibly, but I think it just has to be a, you know, an overall effort and it has to be an emphasis and that really comes down to money and resources and, you know, continuing to keep good coaches and recruit. So we shift gears to college football, where the returning production came out. Tops in all of college football, Bowling Green at 92%, followed closely by Brigham Young at 88 The worst, Nevada, 28%. Dang, Nevada. But as we start to shift gears and look at this from a Sunbelt perspective, Southern Miss is number six at 85%. The first question I have, though, they have a lot coming back, obviously, as as this number even indicates. But is that a good thing or a bad thing, knowing that they struggled last year and even the year before that, the COVID season? You know, I I remember you and I kind of talked a little bit offline about this uh, even last week. 
And uh, I remember ULM was in a similar position a few years ago. I think it was ULM, where they were bringing back a lot of guys. And they're like tops in the Sun Belt. But they had also only won like two or three games last year. And you kind of had to think to yourself, well, is that a plus? Is that a boon? Are you really getting back top quality players? But I will tell you this, Tibbs, and this is this is more of my opinion than anything. Anytime you bring back experience, it's good. Now, you may not be bringing back the best players, but you're bringing back leadership. And I, I, I think... I think that's pretty good. And I think when Southern Miss fields that team and you don't have to explain new systems to a bunch of new people and you got a bunch of guys that you can count on and maybe they've had another off season in the weight room and maybe they, they're just a little bit better than they were the year before. I think what you have is a pretty good team. So I actually believe in Bill Connolly's uh, uh, system here, Arlie. Uh, I guess there's no reason not to, to believe in the rankings, but I actually believe it's important to have that, that, that experience come back. Interesting that Georgia Southern and Troy both at 80%. I see those at, at complete opposite spectrums, at least for this upcoming season. I think Troy will finally kind of have things together under the new coaching staff and, and kind of get that boost that you usually see with the new staff yeah. coming in. Georgia Southern, I just don't think that they have the personnel to compete yet. What's surprising about Georgia Southern is that when, usually when you get a new coaching change, you see kind of a lot of people moving on. You know, a, a lot of people seeing they have no don't have a role anymore in the new coaching scheme. Yeah, you, you'll see a lot of new guys being brought in and people getting replaced. I can't figure out what's going on with Georgia Southern. I think we're all in agreement. Are they are they still a a a a, a, a triple option team? Is Clay Hilton going to bring in bring in more of his offense to the mix? Is it sort of going to be a composite of what he has to work with plus some new guys he brings in? Georgia Southern to me is the biggest apart from the the new guys coming in. Georgia Southern to me is still the biggest mystery in all of the Sun Belt. Well, they signed multiple quarterbacks. I mean, we, we talked about that, you know, certainly after uh, after signing day. Uh, they also have a have had a transfer from Buffalo, who uh, from folks that I've talked to down there is probably going to be the starter um, there, just because he actually has experience. You don't want to throw a true freshman out uh, into the you know into the mighty Sun Belt East, uh, the the gauntlet that it is right now. Um, you know, here here kid, get you some. Uh, so you know they they are trying to increase the talent level, which truly is the, was the problem the last few years. You know, the, the issue ultimately under Lunsford is recruiting had dropped on the lines. Um, you know, you had two NFL defensive backs, which is a rarity, uh, obviously, in, at this, uh, in the Sunbelt level in the same backfield. Uh, both of those guys were not replaced, and you saw defensively uh, them continue to kind of take steps back in the secondary in the front seven. Um, and ultimately, when you're trying to run a when you're trying to run an option offense and your offensive line isn't very good, and your quarterback play isn't very good, you're in trouble. And uh, I, I'm very interested to see how the change goes. You know, they've also hammered, uh, went, tried to go get some skill guys at, their, at running back, at wide receiver, uh, because legitimately they, they didn't have guys that can run more than one or two routes. So now you have to almost go really back to the basics there and build it. And as I've continued to caution people in this state, uh, it's going to be a long build. And, and I will tell you, uh, you know, I, I can I can 
circle, you know, Connolly's uh, returning production, Georgia State returns a truckload. They, they should have 18 starters back from the uh, the bowl win. Uh, so they're on the opposite end, and they're they're ready to rock and roll. I know the spring game is uh, is under two weeks for the Panthers. Speaking oh. of having more guys come back like Georgia State, who is having nobody come back, Tibbs? It feels like Coastal. Coastal, it seems like they have Grayson McCall coming back, but with the shoulder surgery, he's not participating in spring ball. So having lost highly and likely, they they are uh, definitely the big question mark coming in. Yeah, you know, uh, and see, they were that team, remember, that uh, they had a whole bunch of freshmen and sophomores and they redshirted all those guys and patiently waited for them to grow and develop. Then, bam, suddenly Coastal Carolina was good. Now are we seeing where Coastal Carolina, bam, can suddenly not be so good? I think maybe. It, it, it's definitely going to be interesting to see because the assumption is always that Coastal Carolina is good. They have all these top classes. They should be just dominating, you know, knocking – knocking the doors down for recruits. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. But I think this is where we kind of see is the success parlaying and getting them kids to continue that success going forward. And their schedule, as we talked about, gets significantly harder. You know, they, they host Army. Um, they've, got to, they've got to play Buffalo at home as well as quality MAC team. Um, you know, you're looking up and down. I mean, obviously the newbies there in the Sunbelt East – um, and then they have to go to Virginia is their power five game. Uh, we know they had, had a very solid season as well. So it's, it's not the uh, it, it's not going out to Kansas or hosting Kansas, probably the worst power five team in back to back seasons. The thing it gets a whole lot harder and you have uh, kids that uh, you know, ha- have not been in that scenario. And, and again, I still wonder, you know, they, they estimate Grayson to be back, but uh, if you have shoulder surgery on your throwing arm, that can get sticky in a hurry. You know, I love Grayson McCall, and I love Jamie Chadwell, but it's it does seem like he does not have the tools that he had last year and the year before coming in this year. So, you know, he he kind of, they all kind of came in last year with this sort of chanticleer moxie that was pretty pretty hard to overcome. So, uh, we'll have to see uh, what their stance is for next for this year. How about the Cajuns, Tibbs? Are the Cajuns bringing back guys? 48% returning based on Conley's research. I think that they are the big question mark out of everyone in the league because they've lost so much, lost Napier, the coaching staff. Yes, they hired one of their own in Michael DeZormo to come in and run it. A lot of the assistants are the same. But we do not know what exactly that team is going to look like and how they're going to act with all of those changes going on. No more Levi either, who has seemed to have been, you know, helming those Cajuns for the last 40 years. It seems like he has been there since the 80s. Levi Lewis is gone. So you don't have the team leader uh, on the field. You don't have the team leader on the sideline. You got a little bit of uh, uh, uh cognitive dissonance with the buyer after you hired the new coach who was an assistant coach, Cajuns might be looking at a six-win season. And I I think that was even if Napier would have stayed. I I think regardless, they just have lost too much to continue to be 
atop the standings. They've, they've got to have that one year to reload and get things uh, back up and going. Without a doubt, though, they'll, they'll be back at the top. It's just a matter of how quickly can they get it done. Oh, it's always a matter of time for them. It just might not be this year for them. But with them kind of creative a vacuum, that means that the Sun Belt West, which is weaker than the East, so I'll, I'll, I'll admit that then more. <laughs> that means there is a, a, a job opening as a divisional conference champion that's up for grabs in 2022 in the Sun Belt. And that should be pretty exciting for the ULMs, the Red Wolves, the South Bamas, I guess now Troy's of the world. I guess Troy would be the one that truly filled that vacuum better than anyone. So look for another just sort of Wild West scenario for the Sun Belt West and look for the Sun Belt East just to kind of do their business as usual and just kick everybody's ass. It's another short, sweet episode because Jeremy has to go. He's he's always busy. He's he's too <laughs> big for us. Anniversary. Happy I'm anniversary, brother. <laughs> Happy anniversary there. I have been married 23 years. So uh yeah, it's not like one of the bigger ones, not the 20th or 25th, but I have vowed here's what I'm doing. Here's what we're doing for the anniversary. I don't want to hear about it. I'm gonna pick up some salad. <laughs> Wait, and no duels or two. <laughs> uh so yes we'll do let's do some parting shots can i lead parting shots since it's my birthday i mean usually it's tibbs leading parting shots well it's not your birthday but yes you can did i say birthday well i feel like i was born again when i married my wife so that's that's how that works ben give us a uh give us a um uh, a parting shot and then maybe a uh what do you call it a uh a, a plug plug that's the word you're looking for yes uh we, i mentioned a little bit earlier uh you know if, if the sunbelt doesn't want to be 16 seeds anymore then you have to improve the product and how do you do that mm. you recruit better you schedule better you retain your coaches uh i know i know the our website uh my co-owner of the website uh launched uh, a program and a fundraising resident campaign this week called winning 101 and essentially uh it was kind of on uh, hey, 101 is an academic uh, side of things where, hey, you know, that's the easy classes, right? Get you in. It's also the number of wins that uh, Georgia State guard Kane Williams won in his career in Atlanta. Uh, so urging Panther fans to jump on board, donate $101 to the men's basketball program. We've had a great response so far in three days, uh, specifically going to men's basketball and not just going to the general fund. While that matters as well, if you want the men's basketball program to improve, then give to the men's basketball program. And I encourage Anyone and everyone that follows uh, some, their Sunbelt school to give to their school and, 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 and discuss options like that, giving to specific programs that you want to see improve. Absolutely. Fans have to invest if fans want to see better product. Tibbs, give me a plug and maybe a, a parting shot. How fitting is it that the story of this year's NCAA tournament that is in the Sweet 16 Absolutely. is the Peacock? <laughs> When you get excited, you spread your wings, parlaying there on what Ben said. If you're excited about your team, you know, at the end of the day, it takes money. you got to get involved. you got to find a way to support your school, support the Bobcats, support whoever, and make sure that you're advancing the league. Absolutely. And uh, I guess my parting shot 
is that it's in, we're in the middle of baseball season and uh, I am trying my hardest as editor, owner, primary writer of howraiser.com not to write a scathing article about my Red Bulls and the state of the baseball program. But I think it's going to have to happen. So we, we, that'll probably be up next, sort of a deep dive into Red Wolves baseball, why it's floundering, what we need to do to bring it back up. And you know what, Ben? It might be like I'll be asking people from the Georgia State Panthers to donate $101 to the Red Wolves baseball team. I am taking your money, and I'm turning it into a respectable baseball program. Pass the hat, man. Listen, what were they <laughs> Rising tides raise all ships, right? Absolutely. <laughs> all right. For myself, for Dusty Thibodeau, for Ben Moore, this is the Fun Belt Podcast signing off. Join us next week when I'm sure we'll have incredible guests. <laughs>